Welcome to the Hands in Motion podcast, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. Here we will discuss all things upper extremity therapy, from assessment to treatment, the latest research, the patient experience, and other topics related to the field of upper extremity rehab. Learn more and subscribe today at ASHT.org. Welcome back to another episode of Hands in Motion. October is National Physical Therapy Month, and we want to celebrate our physical therapy colleagues that specialize in treating the upper extremity. We are excited to be joined by Jane Fedorsik, a longtime advocate of physical therapy and upper extremity rehab. She is the current president of the American Physical Therapy Association Hand and Upper Extremity Academy, and we will be discussing ways that the academy is promoting upper extremity physical therapy, creating resources for therapy practice, and engaging their members to advocate for their profession. Welcome to Hands in Motion, Jane. Jane. We're going to talk tonight a little bit about the Hand and Upper Extremity Academy. So do me a favor and just tell the listeners who you are and what your background is in. Well, my name is Jane Fedorsik, and I am a physical therapist, and I became a physical therapist in 1986, and I used to be an athletic trainer. I received a master's degree in physical therapy and my PhD in physical therapy with an emphasis on anatomy and cell biology in 2007. So I had eight years of full-time practice in hand therapy, different settings, and then I've been in academia full-time since 1993, probably long before some of you were born if you're listening to a podcast. So I'm not young, and I have been focused 100% on education, research, and advocacy of the hand therapy profession for certainly the past two decades. So October is Physical Therapy Month, so we wanted to have you on as a guest just to kind of promote the profession of hand therapy with physical therapists. So... What is a little bit of history about the Hand and Upper Extremity Academy, and how did that get started? The condensed version. <laughs> so the APTA Hand and Upper Extremity is our is our new name. We were originally incorporated as the Hand Rehabilitation Section thirty six years ago, but we are one of eighteen specialty sections or academies within the American Physical Therapy Association. So just like other national organizations, we have our, you know, parent organization that represents us nationally. And then we have state chapters, District of Columbia, Puerto Rico fit into the state chapters, and then these 18 academies. And they are either in a specialty practice area or a specialty practice setting like home health. And then pediatrics, so you could look at that as necessarily being a population. So APTA Hand and Upper Extremity was started 36 years ago and essentially does fingertip to neck since the cervical spine can mediate pain into the upper extremity. It is open to members of the American Physical Therapy Association. So in order to belong to a specialty academy or section, component's probably a good word to use because it would be representative of either section or academy. But 
you have to be a member of the national organization. Your chapter is determined by either where you live or where you work. And then for a much lower membership fee, you can be a member of the specialty sections. So the APTA says that belonging to the specialty section drives membership more than because of areas of practice, more so than being a member of the national organization that has to look at the profession of physical therapy as a whole, or even rehabilitation, because a lot of the work that's done at the national level is focused on advocacy, and they advocate in union or unity with most of the other rehabilitation organizations, and certainly for hand therapist AOTA. So APTA and AOTA are partners in just about every rehabilitation initiative that is currently going on in DC, you know, on the Hill, as they say. So the sections are then broken down into like, they don't have good operational definitions, but small sections, medium sections, large sections. So the largest section is orthopedics. And I think it's probably called orthopedic physical therapy, but you know, we just say ortho and they have over 20,000 members. You know, that's one fifth of the size of the APTA. And then pediatrics is probably medium, maybe 7,000 members. And we have just over a thousand members within the APTA hand and upper extremity. Our full name is the Academy of Hand and Upper Extremity Physical Therapy. But again, we've gone with a unified branding message at APTA. So we're APTA hand upper extremity and our logo looks sort of like a hand matches the APTA logo a little bit, but it's our dinner fork as we like to call it. So, and the members could be either a physical therapist, a physical therapist assistant. There's a retired category. There's a lifetime membership for either PTs or PTAs. And then there's student PT and PTA membership. And I'll just point out to you that right now our student and membership is is $0. It's always a very small increment, but right now it's zero because we're trying to increase awareness just even amongst physical therapy students, whether they're PTs or PTAs, that PTs treat hand and upper extremity injuries as well. I think that most students know full well that PTs treat shoulders and the majority of the shoulders, but they are often told oh, well, don't worry about the hand. We know how complicated it is, but, you know, OTs treat that a lot. So, but PTs do as well, as I've been saying for, and have been doing for over 35 years. So we have some member benefits. We're very small. We're always looking for volunteers and especially looking for volunteers that are strong advocates of promoting interprofessional practice within the hand and upper extremity. So we have a lot of members, but there's only a, well, it's not really a handful, but there's a small percentage that are, that are actually certified hand therapists. And most of the certified hand therapists that are members of our academy are also members of, of ASHT as well. We call ourselves the diehards and try to promote awareness and the specialty practice within the APTA at large. So do you have like a governing board or like a president, a vice president within the academy? Yes. So we do have a board and and I'm the president. So 
and have been. I'm in my second term and it's a three-year term. I am going to term out in February 2023 and we are always looking for new leaders. And I love to focus on leadership development, you know, and trying to get new blood. It's just, it's a really hard time to get people to volunteer. So I've been trying to focus on micro-volunteering projects so that, you know, unlike me, who feel like there's never an end in sight for servant leadership, I want people to be able to serve for short bursts of time that fit a balanced life. Do as I say, not as I do. So we have a president, a vice president, a secretary, treasurer, and then we have a fifth member and we just call that position director. And then we have some coordinators and we have some standing committees. So the APTA bylaws state that we have to have a certain number of standing committees. And then everything else is sort of set up either as a micro volunteer like task force or, you know, a one or two person operation in terms of serving as a coordinator. So we maintain a website at handpt.org. So that's probably our the best thing is we have a real easy URL to remember, handpt.org. And we have some research resources. We have some education resources. We can be a great source to help students find clinical placements in hand and upper extremity. It's really hard these days for anybody to to just do a clinical that specializes in hand and upper extremity versus, you know, maybe it's a place where they could do orthopedic PT and hand and upper extremity or even in a pediatric setting, splitting their time between, you know, pediatric, general care, traumatic care, and also getting some time in, in hand therapy. But we can assist with placements. One of the things that we're particularly focused on is knowledge translation and working on the development of clinical practice guidelines, which is a very formalized and well-funded project within the APTA at large. So we have clinical practice guidelines that have been published for the conservative management of carpal tunnel syndrome, the therapist management of lateral elbow tendinopathy, and we're working on one with distal radius fractures as well. We will continue to develop clinical practice guidelines. APTA is focused on us funding for impactful guidelines that will help many physical therapy professionals. So we'll tend to stick with topics that that may not need to be so specialized, but we'd also like to do some of the more specialized topics as well. And these guidelines all have to be interprofessional. So even though the primary authors are physical therapists, there has to be a surgeon. So of course we would pick somebody that's, you know, board certified in hand surgery and as well as have OTs participate as reviewers. You know, we could pick other, you know, maybe athletic trainers or chiropractors that may fit some of those topic areas as another health professional. But they, we do have criteria that we have to follow in order for the guidelines to be available. And they're, they're all open source. So you don't actually have to be a member because 
it's the concept is focused with the development of these guidelines is focused on reducing variability in practice. And I'll just give a little plug that we will be talking about that at the annual meeting, not too long from now. So at the ASHT annual meeting. So, you know, people can learn more about it at our session, but so there, every specialty academy or section within the APTA is contributing to the practice guideline development that is occurring that, you know, presents literature that supports what we do, either on examination or intervention for physical therapy practice and uh, a number of areas. Are there other ways, I know with the clinical practice guidelines, I guess, collaborating with the other sections or academies, are there other ways that the sections and academies collaborate, different projects or other offerings? So all 18 sections collaborated on development of COVID resources. So many of those were open access, at least during the first year of the pandemic and public health emergency. And so it was obviously an opportunity for the cardiopulmonary section, the acute care section in particular to really shine. But one of the outcomes of our recent House of Delegates meeting that was held in September is a focus and emphasis on the resources needed across the rehabilitation spectrum on, and let me make sure I get this right. So the kind of generic term has been long COVID, but I think that the proper term is post-acute sequelae of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, so, or disease. But the concept is that the APTA will continue to support the development of resources, and certainly the study of what we're finding with the post-acute sequelae of, of long COVID. And we cannot underestimate the neurologic damage that some of even our hand and upper extremity patients may be facing. It may be subtle and seem insignificant compared to their initial levels of fatigue, et cetera. But But again, you know, we don't know what the long-term consequences may be for for some of our patients related to neurovascular changes. So it's something that we're going to have to have to be involved in. So we do also collaborate on initiatives like the Choose PT campaign that's focused on the opioid crisis. And, you know, we all have ways that we contribute to using therapy services to manage acute pain, chronic pain, where, you know, you wouldn't need to focus so much on pharmacologic management. So we meet regularly during the height of the pandemic. We were meeting, I'm going to say weekly. And if I didn't go, I had another representative, but every section tried to make sure they had a representative present. But the Council on Section Presidents we meet quarterly and we can submit agenda items and the APTA mothership, as I like to call the national office, they may have agenda items and they're looking for feedback from the components. 
So we are celebrating the centennial year of the APTA, which coincides with the 100 years since the start of the American Physical Therapy Association, which actually the actual date was in January, so 2021, but most of the celebrations could not take place until September when we had a a five or six day centennial event that occurred in Washington, D.C. and included many leadership activities, Future of PT Summit, House of Delegates, Centennial Gala, and we represented APTA Hand and Upper Extremity in those events. And then now we have 100 days of service planned, and COVID has really diminished the ability to do a lot of in-person service activities. But one of the ways that we are partnering with ASHT is in the Share the Gloves campaign, which was a vision created during Sue Miklovitz's presidency in 2013 that we should give back to the community where we were holding our annual ASHT annual meeting. So I thought it was important for us to to partner with ASHT in our centennial year in particular to continue that vision. So we have some members that will be doing sort of things that are similar to Hand Therapy Awareness Week, health fairs, talking about aspects of hands and upper extremity health. And then we also initiated this year in 2021 webinars that are free to our members. So in order to attend, you have to be a member. We haven't really set up the, if you can't be a member, what the cost would be, but I'm pretty sure we'll have that set up in 2022. But we did two, and then the recordings are available in a repository for members to listen to if they can't attend in real time. And, and obviously the PT and PTAs get CEUs, which is important because APTA, PT approval for CEUs is an issue, <laughs> something that we're trying to help resolve as well, but it's, it's not an easy task. So this year we're holding our third one in October and then hopefully in 2022, we will launch, my goal is six. So, you know, every other month kind of thing. So I know you mentioned that something that is, I guess, near and dear to you is advocacy and advocacy as physical therapist in hand therapy. What are some ways that the APTA or even just the Academy is, I guess, their initiatives for this as well, for advocacy within the profession of hand therapy? Yeah. So I think whether you're an APTA member, an ASHT member, a non-member, we all need to pay a little bit more attention to advocating for access to healthcare for, for all citizens, you know, even globally, you know, I would argue. So within any of the specialty sections, and even within the components of APTA, there is always at least one advocacy volunteer. And we've got, you know, all kinds of terms, practice chair, reimbursement chair, federal affairs liaison. So we're fortunate to have a longtime member of both ASHT and APTA. Marsha Lawrence serves as our primary leader in the advocacy realm. 
She has been appointed by the APTA Board of Directors to a national standing committee of the APTA that's called PPAC. And this is a practice affairs committee made up of physical APTA members across multiple areas of practice. And they meet regularly with the legislative and advocacy team members that are APTA employees. They have a fairly large staff for a professional organization. And I think that this is when people say, why does membership cost so much to get you know, a break on CEUs and a journal, that they don't recognize the number of employees that are working to serve the needs of the members across areas of professional development, but in advocacy. And it's one of the primary reasons why our national organizations are housed in the D.C. area, because they need to be where legislation happens. So we get out information to our members and we get regular emails from the APTA national office, but we'll also get specific information from our state chapters. Specific to the hand and upper extremity practice, we will send information out to our members. And then Marsha, as our team member for APTA, works collaboratively with AOTA and ASHT on these issues. So a lot of times, you know, we find that, you know, therapists often act like, well, I don't understand why do we don't work together on these things. And the reality is all of the lobbyists and legislative personnel are working together on these issues. So when they go to the Hill to support, you know, telehealth legislation or access to therapy services, or even the, I'm forgetting the name of it exactly, but, you know, helping reduce the education burden. So that would be tuition on health professionals across many aspects of, of healthcare All of those legislative issues are being handled by all of the major organizations collaboratively. Nobody really wants to go to the Hill by themselves. They want to go with other organizations because a slogan that was started by the current APTA president, Sharon Dunn, is we're better together. So even though we've, you know, grown up as therapists, you know, going from a bachelor's prepared curriculum to a master's prepared curriculum to the doctoral curriculum, you know, there really is as much as we want autonomy and there really is an autonomous practice anymore. I mean, you know, the idea is team care. So you see teams working together in the hospitals. When you think about a COVID team, you know, we hear on the news about the doctors, the nurses or whatever, but you know, you could go right down to guest services. So I can tell you that when the ward is super busy in a COVID wing, if the patient can't get their call button answered, the backup is to call guest services and they'll call the nurses hub. So this is a person that's not even a licensed healthcare member, but they're a member of the team when it comes to meeting the needs of our our patients. And I know that personally, because my daughter who said she didn't want anything to do with healthcare is doing hospitality services at a large, relatively large hospital in the state where she lives. But so you just never know, but none of us work 
in an isolated setting anymore. We're all working together. So, you know, that concept of promoting interprofessional practice, and I've spoken a lot about this, that, you know, in the hand therapy world, you know, hand surgeons, OTs, PTs have been working collaboratively for over 40 years, and we don't really need legislation or education accreditation to tell us to do it. But we need to stay steadfast that we work interprofessionally to meet the needs of our patients. So you will see that the more you take a look at any of our member organizations, that you see that if you're a checkbook dues-paying member and you look to receive your benefits in the mail or in your email, you see just the surface of what's being done to support your practice. And it's really when you have that opportunity to take a deeper dive, you'll see that they're supporting your practice in more ways than you could possibly recognize. But in terms of advocacy, pay attention to those emails when they're like, we need you to contact your legislators. Everybody has, so everybody, I'm sort of focused on AOTA, APTA, and ASHT, We all have some portion of the website that is dedicated to keeping you updated on legislative activities. Now, it may not be as important as, you know, Sunday night football scores, but in the end, the more our legislative representatives, you know, Congress, the more they hear from their constituents on behalf of some of these healthcare initiatives the more likely they're going to say, yeah, I guess I need to start paying attention to this. So it's not only you as a healthcare practitioner that need to pay attention to it. When your patient says, I don't know how I would have ever recovered without you. You know, earlier this year, my mother was quite ill. She was in acute care for at least, I think it was about three weeks, two and a half to three weeks, which is a long time. ICU to a regular acute care bed. It wasn't COVID. She's not a young woman. She, you know, I'm not young. She's older than me. And she'd probably get mad. Some of you've met her, but at an ASHT meeting here or there, but she was in the ICU. She had developed aspiration pneumonia and they have no idea how she developed it, but she was just filled with fluid and it took a long time to resolve And then, of course, she was completely deconditioned from the acute care stay and she went to inpatient rehab. And, you know, she had OTs and PTs on her team and she just raved and raved about her occupational therapist. She had been exposed to physical therapy, chronic knee pain, osteoarthritis, a total knee, was scheduled to get a second total knee this summer. But because of this pneumonia incident, she didn't have that done. She even saw speech for a consult, but she just raved about what occupational therapists did with her. And so I wrote a note and dropped off some cookies and said, thank you very much. It's only taken 30 some years for my mother to actually appreciate my occupational (laughs) treatment. So but uh, anyway, so, and then she received outpatient services and home health for a little bit as well. But she was so appreciative of how much they not only helped her recover so she could go back to independent living, but even, you know, those nuances about the tips she got, you know, even though I told her a hundred times, 
how, you know, and showed her like, you could use this to open a jar, you know, cause she has bad thumbs. You know, she walked around in ASHT exhibit hall and basically said, you know, oh yeah, my hands hurt all the time. And they're like, and your daughter's a hand therapist. So you get the point, but you know, they don't listen to family members, right? Our family doesn't listen to us. Absolutely. Right? My mom will always be a child, you know? So very appreciative of the care she received. And if she hadn't received such comprehensive care, she might actually be living in assisted living right now, as opposed to back in independent living. So this is an opportunity for me to say to her, so mom, if I tell you to write a letter to your congressman or whatever, this is why I'm asking you to do that. Because 20 years from now, it's going to be me that needs those services. So I'm pretty sure I'll still be a pretty strong advocate unless my brain is mush. But the general idea is that patients that are grateful for our services, and there's so many that are. Now, there's others that are like, you know, we know they can be a little grumpy. They didn't, you know, quite make them as perfect as they wanted to be. But, you know, we need to utilize them and, and suggest and not just do it when we're in a hurry. You know, when we get these legislative action requests, please, please, please respond. But, you know, we can sort of send them in that direction. And fortunately, the, you know, all of our major organizations that are tied to hand and upper extremity rehabilitation they all have that open source on their website. If we got better about branding, we could direct our patients to say, this would be a good time to let your congressman know that they need to not be stingy about Medicare or you know, other services or training for future healthcare professionals, especially at a time when we're seeing a mass exodus, you know, from healthcare, you know, people basically saying, I'm kind of burned out, I need to do something else. So we're going to have to turn that around somehow. (laughs) So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And you work in academia, how are you encouraging students to specialize in upper extremity rehab, trying to nurture those young therapists to steer them in the path of upper extremity? So first of all, even though I specialized right out of PT school, you know, I was discouraged from doing that. They were like, somebody actually thought I'd get bored. Huh? Eat your work. <laughs> but, you know, I have to tell you that my first goal is quite frankly, to get the students through the pandemic, right? They're so excited to be back on campus, but they're in a mask. Anytime they're on campus and indoors, they're in a mask. But they're back to practicing and doing handling skills, you know. So right now, our goal is to get them out, get them into their clinical placements and have them graduate as a generalist. So now I am a firm believer that I think specialty practice matters. I think that those that have specialized skills probably get better outcomes with their patients and probably can do it in a shorter period of time. Unfortunately, our data doesn't, we don't really have data to support that. We have a feeling, we have circumstantial evidence, but we don't have strong data that being a specialist is really matters. Okay. But it certainly is the model that we're in. So it's important to make students aware of all areas of practice. So they're exposed to all areas of practice 
you know, whether they're going through their general education to become an OT or a PT. So everybody has sort of like an introduction to the profession. So that's where they're first made aware of the specialty practice. And then, of course, they get more education as they start to develop during their second year, you know, because they do a lot of foundational sciences in the first year where they start thinking about what happens post-graduation. Am I going to go right into clinical practice or am I going to look at a post-residency education in an area where we have a clinical specialty? So we try to make them aware of all of their options. The other thing that's really helpful is the students have their own club. So it might be called the PT club or the PT society. So not only are we encouraging them to become leaders through their work, but we're also encouraging them to use the society as a way to learn more about different areas of practice. So they may say, we'd like to have somebody come and talk to us, you know, about COVID, you know, or they want to talk about foot and ankle injuries or injuries common in throwing athletes. So, you know, we might help them find a speaker to come speak to members of the club or, you know, maybe they want to go shadow if it's a local clinic or whatever. So awareness is the first thing. Now, you know, when they first come in, they're trying to figure out that there's over 400 muscles and over 200 bones. And there's some organs that are vital to make any of the movements happen, you know, in the body, brain, heart, lungs, none of us can survive without it. Right. So they need to learn. They're just exposed to so much vocabulary Like they thought they had a clue until they come hang out with us, right? So there's a lot of opportunity to reignite them. And, you know, each student develops a professional development plan. And this is pretty common in the standardized criteria, whether you're going to OT or PT school. So every every student has some professional development plan. And part of that would be going to a local meeting. So you know, we have the national meetings, we have chapter or state meetings, and then there could be district meetings within your state as well. And so a lot of it is exposure. The other thing is, is modeling. So almost every faculty member has some service component as part of their workload or in addition to their workload, where they may serve at a national, regional, state or district level. And, you know, sort of through watching them through our servant leadership, we can model how they would take on those activities as well. We're fortunate that we have some interprofessional organizations on campus as well, where the students work together in a number of different healthcare environments and with a special focus on dealing with the health inequity that we see in a major city like Philadelphia. So I could go on and on about a lot of those things, but it really just starts with awareness. Now, obviously related to hand therapy, not every OT or PT program has a board certified hand therapist on faculty. But, you know, even if I'm just talking a little bit about anatomy, you know, well, they would tell you that 
I sound like the Wikipedia of anatomy. You know, I just sort of say, look, I got to apologize ahead of time. There's a lot of real estate between the hand and the elbow. So, you know, compared to when you think about the muscles that surround the knee, we've got the hamstrings and the quadriceps. And, you know, we've got 40 more muscles beyond that to consider. So I apologize. I tell them I didn't create it, but I, I do fling out a lot of words at them very quickly. And I, I tell them it's a good thing when they can follow me and buy mechanics with my abbreviations. So I'll abbreviate when I speak, right? Because I'm not mm-hmm. used to saying the full Saying those, it's yeah. It's been a long time since I've had to do that. But on their PowerPoint slide, they've got the they've got the spelling, and then you know I'll say like ECRB, and then they're like, okay, I know what she means. So <laughs> doing but, a word search, <laughs> exactly. So, but it's pretty rough, you know. I thought one of the best things about the pandemic was there was a lot more recorded material because sometimes you just got to listen to it more than once. And, you know, as much as they want to be in person, I'm like, you know, there's some real benefits to recordings. You can hit stop, pause, you know, we're finding that we're using the the recorded material that we created. We're using it now as, you know, kind of in that flipped classroom model. So anyway, and, you know, you're not going to catch everybody's attention. I think it's a great thing when I've when I've got one person that's even remotely interested in the upper extremity. So students today just have so many options, right? You know, more so than, than any of us had, you know, and I can remember, you know, I can't believe you went to school to treat the whole body and now you're just going to treat broken fingers. And, you know, you (laughs) laugh at that, right? Because we know we do so much more than that. Or when we think about optimizing performance, it's not even enough to think about the upper extremity anymore. We you have to think about yeah. the core and you know it think about the strength in the legs. You've got to strengthen the legs. Yeah. They've got to have hip flexibility. They have to have a certain bend in their knee to have a throw a good pitch. So it's it's certainly gone well beyond the broken finger. So I feel fortunate because I've never regretted one day choosing this specialty practice. So I love to talk about it and I'm sure that, you know, I'll be talking about it on my way to the grave. So I'm just hoping that we'll continue to flourish and develop our science and still focus on an interprofessional practice where we're less concerned about whether we're a PT or an OT, but that we're providing the best hand therapy care we can provide for our patients. I think that's a good ending. What do you think? (laughs) I like that ending. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you, Jane, so much for joining us to talk about physical therapists and their role as upper extremity therapists. And remember, October is PT month. Well, I certainly want to say a special celebration to my PT colleagues that may be listening to this you know, have a good month and we'll keep moving forward. And I'm sure we'll all have a lot to reflect on when we get to the other side of this public health emergency. But remember handpt.org. And if you're going to be at the ASHT annual meeting, I look forward to seeing you there. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hands in Motion brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. You can listen on the ASHT website and or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Google, Amazon Music and Spotify. Once subscribed, please rate and review the podcast to help us reach new listeners and continue offering valuable and relevant content. You've been listening to Hands in Motion, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. To learn more about ASHT and to subscribe to the show, please visit asht.org. We'll see you next time on the Hands in Motion podcast. Podcast.